we're in the middle of a series on relationships. And oh, by the way, we need to just give a shout out to the Matildas, don't we? Uh, I'm emotionally exhausted after watching that last night. But anyway, move on. And um, so in this the middle of this series uh, on relationships that we entitled Love Isn't Blind, and what we're looking at is some principles in relationships, but also unrealistic expectations or what are some of the challenges that really need to be worked through. And last week I introduced within it a two-part message. And so the subtitle is When We Don't Agree, and the inference is What Do We Do? And I spent a bit of time last week just talking about the incredible uh, political upheaval changes, the factions within Judaism and the Gentile world at the time of Jesus and how he brought two extreme people, Simon the Zealot, who was uh, a wannabe terrorist, to put it in modern day language, and Matthew the tax collector, who's collaborating with the occupying empire, Rome, and they follow him. And I'm sure there'd been some interesting conversations. And based on that, we are continuing with some really practical things of how we engage when we don't agree. You see, Paul believes and teaches that when we are in Christ, there is an automatic unity that we have and that we need to do everything we can to maintain it. It doesn't mean we can't agree. It doesn't mean we can't have differing opinions. It's how we do it because we are one in Christ. And he believed that unity in Christ broke down societal barriers, cultural, economic, and even things around gender. There was a unity that came together as those who are in Christ. And he teaches it almost as a kind of a preview of heaven and how to bring peace on earth amongst the community of faith, the church of the living God. And he, we spent some time just looking at this last week. In fact, it's where we landed. Ephesians 2 verse 14 says that he himself, speaking of Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law and its commands and regulations. His purpose I love this. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And we need to hang on to the key truths that Jesus is our peace, that he sought in his death and his suffering to break down the wall of hostility. In fact, it says he demolished it. He abolished it. And to buy into wholeheartedly his purpose in doing it is to make a new humanity. But we've also got to acknowledge that while we're on earth, we're going to disagree on some things, even if we are in Christ, even if we are all still reading, which I hope we are, the same Bible our perspectives, our backgrounds. We're going to come to things differently. So I kind of think it's important just to touch on some beliefs that are fundamental to salvation, as it's called. That, that, that You cannot argue with these things. You cannot remove these things. You remove these things and you suddenly are no longer really a Christian. You're only that in name. 
And the first is the deity of Christ. It's quite simply, Jesus is God. God made manifest in the flesh. Part of the, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but one God. That, that salvation is by grace. We don't earn our salvation. The Apostle Paul writes extensively on this in Romans, but I'm going to just read a verse out of Ephesians. Because of his great love for us, God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And I want you to notice, God, because of his love, because of his great mercy, did something in the work of Christ on the cross in Christ's suffering that while we were dead to God, he did something so we could may be alive, brought back to life, back to a right relationship with God. And he says, all of that is by grace. You don't earn it, you receive it. Salvation, therefore, is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts, the apostles preach and declare in Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else for there's no other name given under heaven to mankind by which we must be saved. There's no other way to God. There's not multiple ways. It's only through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the fourth thing is that the resurrection of Jesus is a powerful reality that he was bodily resurrected. Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. The fact that Jesus is risen means the sacrifice was accepted and he is a living saviour to us. Now there's a whole lot of other things that are really important that we believe and that we align on. There are also several other things in us outworking our salvation that we need to get right. And I'm not going to go through a whole list on that, except to bring us back to the authority of God's Word. You see, we believe that the Bible is the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of God and our highest authority for faith and practice, for how we do life. And what does that actually mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means for me. Is no matter what discussion I'm having, no matter what issue is being talked about, my first question is, what does God's word say about this? That's my first reference point. And there are many things that God speaks to, both Old and New Testament, that sometimes you've got to do a bit of research. You can talk with other believers. You can work through some things. But sometimes there's not a direct verse that speaks to the thing you're dealing with, especially in our modern day world with some of the massive arguments and discussions going on within our society. But then you go, well, what is the biblical principle or biblical value that will help me work through this issue? And you've got to put a bit of effort in. You've got to think. But it's always, what does God's word say about this matter? Or what biblical principle, what biblical value should I apply to the discussion that I'm having or the thing that I'm working through in my own heart and mind? And what I'm saying there, that there's a whole lot of things that are really important within our society. I mean, there's the whole culture wars that is going on within our society. There's the whole thing of global warming. We're dealing as a country with issues around the voice and what's right, what's wrong in that. And there's no verse that says 
That's what it is. But there are biblical principles and biblical values that as we work through it, we can come to a perspective. But here's the thing. We can both do that and maybe disagree. Have a different conclusion. Sincere, honest, and it's not like we now have to go to war about it, which happens sometimes within our society and even within amongst believers. But our opinions that we hold should still be informed by biblical principles and biblical values. And Paul teaches in a whole lot of passages, but two, and I'm only going to spend time in one today, you'll be relieved. In Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8, Paul talks about what if a group of believers are dealing with an issue and come to different conclusions as to what they should be doing on that particular issue. And so in Romans 14 verse 1, this is how he starts the conversation. He says, except those whose faith is weak, we'll qualify what is meant by weak there, without quarreling over disputable matters. Disputable matters. The word disputable there, it means to have a dialogue and argument. That's the essence of the Greek word. And, but it has an inference. Well, we're not sure on this. It's my opinion. And in fact, in some instances, the word is actually translated opinion. So he says, except those whose faith is weak, those you disagree with, without quarreling over your opinion. You can have one. In fact, there's a lot of things you should have. It's quite fine to have an opinion about. It's how you conduct yourself with others when you hold to that opinion. And that's really what Paul is talking about here. Disputable matters. And and what we're talking about, they're not fundamental to salvation because we don't mess with those. And there's a whole lot of other biblical truths we should engage with and work through. We're talking about things where the Bible doesn't have a clear statement on the matter. I hope you're understanding the heart and the spirit of what I'm saying here. Arguments that that are going on and in in the ancient world here, what he's talking about, and we almost miss the lesson because we don't understand the context. Because he starts talking about food and whether you can eat food that's been offered to idols and some people are and some people aren't and, and what's going on with all of that. That's the discussion. And we think, okay, who cares if you want an almond latte with a twist of lemon? Who cares if you choose to be vegetarian or or you're just going to go on a meat diet? We kind of almost think that's what's been discussed here, but it's not. These are dietary rules that are founded on deeply religious beliefs. That's what's going on here. It's not just your preference around food or whether you should eat pork or not eat pork, or are you allowed to eat prawns and other seafood with shells and... You get my point. It's not just a dietary preference he's talking about here. He's talking about diet tied to deeply, deeply religious beliefs. And the the thing is here, there's a whole lot of conservative Jewish people who've come to faith and all all their life they've been taught about what they can and can't eat. And there's a whole coat that got bigger and bigger and bigger as the Pharisees and Sadducees added more little rules and regulations interpreting Old Testament things. They now come to Christ and other people are going, we're free. 
Remember, Peter had a vision and God said, arise, kill and eat and with unclean animals. Let's go for it. And they're going, I can't. I've been told all my life I shouldn't eat this. And then there are Gentiles who have been worshipping at the pagan temples and they bring an animal to sacrifice. And what, what happened generally at these pagan temples, a third of the sacrifice was offered to the God, the idol, and the actual word in the New Testament, yeah, it's a nothing. And Paul is actually hinting at something there. A third could be claimed by the priest and a third, the, the worshipper, we're talking about pagan worship, could take home for themselves. And if the priest had more than enough, they had a little butcher shop next to the temple where other people could go and buy meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And now there are some Gentile believers who for all their life have been worshipping at this temple, believed that the idol was a God and now seen people who are free in Christ eating meat that was sacrificed to idols and is doing their head in. They don't know how to respond to it. So I'm just touching very briefly on how big an issue back in the conversation that Paul is having, this issue around food. It's not like we understand it today. It is deeply, deeply connected to different beliefs. Beliefs. And there was a theologian, I think 15 something other, who said on essentials, we need to have unity. On non-essentials, freedom. In everything, love. And that kind of summarizes what Paul talks to us about in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8, and then there are other passages. When as believers you don't agree on something, this is the way you should handle it. This is the way you should respond to other people who believe on something passionately, fiercely, to them it's important. It's not essential to salvation. It's not clearly spoken to in Scripture. There's all sorts of arguments swirling around and the two of you love Jesus, but you disagree with each other. What do you do? How do you respond to that? And Paul uses the word, those who are weak in faith. Now, he's not talking that they are weak in character. He's not talking that they have no will and they weaken pathetic human beings. He's saying their conscience is weak, that they have a sensitivity because of their upbringing, because of their cultural background, because of their perspective they've learned from a child about this issue. It's their conscience that's fragile or weak. Don't ever label them as weak just because they disagree with you is what Paul is saying. He says, you need to understand this sensitivity around how they arrived at the view they have, even if you think they are completely mad and completely wrong. Now, none of you ever think that of anybody else on the planet, do you? You're in church, tell the truth, just be honest. So on essentials, unity, on non-essentials, freedom in everything, love. And what Paul is teaching us in 1 Corinthians 8, which is a parallel passage and specifically what we're going to look at in Romans 14, is the way of love. Paul refers to it in Ephesians 5 and he says, walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. I like that phrase, walk in the way of love when it comes to disputable matters, when it comes to things that you cannot agree on, 
vehemently, whether it's political, social, cultural, food, whatever. He says, just walk in the way of love. And what does that mean? Well, the first thing that Paul says in Romans 14 is to welcome those who have different views to you. He says, accept the one whose faith is weak. Remember, we explained what that means. It's they have a sensitivity about something and as they've come to Christ, their background gives them a sensitivity about something. Accept those whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. The word accept can also be translated, welcome them. Welcome them. And then throughout Romans 14, he keeps coming back to this word accept or welcome. He says welcome them, number one, because God welcomed them. When they came to Jesus or when you came to Jesus, Jesus did not get out a checklist of what your political, social, cultural beliefs, what kind of food you preferred. He didn't go, oh, no, you're out, you're gone. I love that old hymn, just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. Just as you are, you come to Jesus with all this stuff and he out of all people knows what's crazy in all of our thinking, in all of our attitudes, in all of our behaviour, but it's whosoever willed the Lord may come. God has welcomed you just as you are. And Paul is saying, shouldn't you just extend that to other people? that you disagree with, that you have a different perspective, you have a different political view or whatever the case may be. He says, welcome them because God welcomed you. And then in verse seven through nine, welcome them because Christ died for them. Christ died for them. It says, for none of us lives for ourselves alone. A few weeks ago, Pastor Rebecca did this amazing message on the covenant relationship we are in as believers because we're in a covenant relationship with Jesus. It was outstanding. You can go back, check it out on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, watch it again. It was exceptional. And really what is coming down to, Jesus thought that individual that you disagree with over whatever the issue is, he loved them enough to die for them. So why are you despising them? We don't live our lives for ourselves. And I think in our current society, selfishness and self-centered and that the balance of society has moved from what's good for the society to what I want as an individual. And there's always gonna be a tension between those things, always. Because as an individual, it's important, but how does it impact the society? And I think we've tilted to an extreme at the moment. And he says, for the very reason Christ died and returned to life is so that he might be Lord of all of you, even though all of you have different opinions about different things. He's still the Lord. He died for you. He says, welcome them. Because God welcomed them. Welcomed them because Christ died for them and he was raised to be Lord of all of us. Welcome them because they've become your family in Christ. And I'm just using the message here because it was a little bit clearer. Romans 14, 10. So where does that leave you when you criticize a brother? 
And where does that leave you when you condescend to a sister? Eventually, we're all gonna end up kneeling side by side in the place of judgment facing God. And Paul just cuts through this thing. He says, you're attacking each other over things that are not essential to salvation, that are important to you, that are important to your society. So we're not trivializing stuff and say, oh, well, it's not eternal, who cares? No, we should engage. And we should engage all the more because we live in a democratic country. We should count it a privilege that we can engage, that we can have discussion, that we can argue in the right sense of arguing. We should celebrate that. Don't want to go on a foot in a tangent. But he said at the end of the day, we're all going to kneel before Jesus and give an account and then we'll see who was right and who was wrong. And there may be a few things on which we're slightly surprised that you weren't right, that I was. No, no. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? Welcome them. Again, he says, because Christ died for them. Verse 15, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, and remember, it's about a perspective, a deeply held belief, an opinion about something. You're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating, by your opinion, your belief, destroy someone for whom Christ has died. Let me just read Romans 14.1 out of the message. Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Whoa. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department, remember they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. Isn't that a verse to kind of read over a few times? Maybe read over in a few different translations and let it sink into our hearts that while some of these things are important to us and should be important and are important to our society, they're not fundamental to salvation. And we're dealing with people that are never their enemy even if what they do irritates us, frustrates us, even if we think they're slightly mad to believe what they believe. You see, the priority is that you walk in the way of love. That was the longest point, so relax. There's only eight more. No, you'll be fine. He says, don't be quick to judge is the second key promise. So throughout the chapter, welcome, accept those who are different and believe different and have a different opinion to you. Number two, which is inferred in this, do not be quick to judge. Four times in the passage, Paul says we are not to judge, condemn, or dismiss each other as, oh, you're just an idiot kind of attitude. He asks this question. I'm going to go through just two of the references in Romans 14. Who are you to judge somebody else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand. For the Lord is able to make them stand. And I just love God's heart on this. 
That, that even on something that when we get to eternity, we realize I was so, so, so wrong on that. I'm still God's servant. And because Jesus loves me, died for me and put me into a right relationship, I will still be able to stand before God with confidence that I am accepted in the beloved. And I'm speaking for each and every one of us in that. Romans 14, 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. The third thing is don't look down on others. Paul says in Romans 14, 3, those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. I have a, a daughter-in-law who's a vegetarian and she has a backstory of why she is there. And when my son, who is a strong descendant from a South African and literally we wean babies on meat in South Africa. Now, have you heard of biltong? Don't call it jerky. That is just so offensive. Biltong is a whole different category of dried meat. And when a baby is teething, they would hand them a stick of dried meat to chew on. And so literally a large number of South African kids are weaned on meat. It's like we can't get enough. And I don't care what the health doctors say about how much meat you should not should eat. I'm being really naughty now. But you hear my point? And I used to tease her. And um, I remember once in the city, they were uh, on a date and they went to, uh, had some pizza and it was vegetarian. I'd walked in and I saw it, I saw them sitting there. And I was going into a steak restaurant and I sent a photo of the steak to my son and said, wish you were here. I mean, it's so loving and kind. You go, really? But after a while I thought, you know, I just got to accept that she's never going to eat meat and forgive her. <laughs> no, and just stop haranguing her in the way I was. And it was done with affection and all. But, you know, anyway, I feel better now. I feel like I've confessed my sins and it's just... <laughs> Those who don't eat certain foods, don't condemn them because God has accepted them. So welcome them. Don't be quick to judge people. Don't look down on others just because they believe differently to you, no matter how right you think you are. Do what you think is right. It isn't a thing. He says on these secondary manner, matters in Romans 14, 5, he says, each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. If you have a belief or perspective, you need to be convinced. Use your brain, think it through, search the scriptures, talk to other people, engage in the conversation, and then come to a belief that you settled on, but you're not aggressive with is what Paul is saying. Hold your convictions and we should have convictions about a whole lot of things with humility and openness to listen, to learn, and to grow. 
Romans 4, 5 in the message says this, each person is free to follow the convictions of their conscience. And we need to engage and say, Holy Spirit, renew my conscience, refresh it. Let it be informed from the word of God. Number five, assume the best of other people's motives. Romans 14, 6. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. So apart from the food things, there were certain sacred days that people were hanging on to and, and others going, no, that's from the pagan background and you know stuff like that. Whoever regards as one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat, yes, does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God. Every time I give thanks to God and whosoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Oh, you notice they still love Jesus. They're still thankful about their opinion, their perspective and what their conscience permits them to do. And so we need to give other people the benefit of the doubt as to their motive when we disagree with them on something. Because what the, level, the devil loves to do is to project a motive onto them that you would hate projected onto. Oh, they're doing that because they just, you know. We can assess people's behaviours, but we should never assume we know their motive. Some terrible things have been done with good motive. And I'm not trying to justify, excuse stuff. God says to Samuel in the choosing of David over the other sons that seemed better fitted to be the next king. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge their outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Number six, we're almost done. You'll be all right. Be sensitive about other people's conscience. Therefore, he says in verse 13, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Number seven, it's just a checklist. I encourage you, you know, you can download these notes of our app. Um, they're there in outline. And just read through the passage and refresh our hearts and our minds of how Paul is saying, this is how you engage when you disagree. We should, number seven, always help and encourage each other. Again, from the message, and I love Eugene Peterson's freshness of the way he looks at scriptures and then works through the, the essence in the heart of them. He says, so let us agree to use all our energy in getting along with each other. Help others with encouraging words. Don't drag them down by following fault. So encourage them. Encourage them, encourage them. And finally, number eight, and it's the essence of all of this, always act in love. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, and remember, it's your opinion, your belief he's talking about here. You're no longer acting in love. Someone for whom Christ died. Paul is calling us to a fierce, resilient kind of love for one another while we live in an age of extraordinary suspicion and vitriol. He's calling us to recognize Christ in each other.
to walk in the way of love. It doesn't mean we should stop having conversations. I think we should have them. And we can be passionate about them, just not ugly about them. I'm going to repeat these eight things that are foundational to Paul's advice, encouragement to the church at Rome and then at Corinth. Similar principles are discussed about how we engage when we don't agree with people. Always act in love. Always believe the best of them because Christ died for them. And the question that I just want to finish off with is a very personal one. Do you know that Jesus died for you? That He loves you? Somebody said that if they were the only sinner on the planet, because of God's great love, Jesus would have died for the one. And while He died for all of us, He died for you specifically, individually, because He loves you. And sin separates us from God. And we can excuse sin and justify it and get all psychological about it. And but at the end of the day, in our heart of hearts, we know that we are broken, that we are sinful, that we've offended God. I'm thankful he didn't get offended and walk away. He walked towards us. And that's what the cross is all about. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross, was creating a way for us to find a way back to God. And the minute we turn, He's there. He's not far away. 